0: Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis.
1: We're on this kingdom story. You know, there's a thing I believe very strongly. I think I could back it up by most people who have studied this, but if you remember something in your past, usually it's significant. If you can think back and you can remember particular things, usually there's a significance there. There's an impact there. I'm exactly uh, like I'm wired for this. Like my poor world, I just have videotapes running through my head all the time. I have memories. I know you've heard my story a million times. I say the stories over and over because I love to remember things that God's done. I love to remember, and so I repeat things a lot. You thought I was just old. I'm really spiritual. That's what it is. Uh, but no, actually, memory's a big deal. <clears throat> How do you? And uh, so pay attention sometimes, and, and it's really important that you let God come into those places that you remember, because usually there's something significant there, even, so it's Father's Day, so I, I find myself this morning thinking about when I had Emily put into my arms, when I had Elise put into my arms, and I thought, oh, I remember I remember how it looked, how it felt I remember this joy overwhelming me, I remember all the things about it because it was significant, right, it had an effect on me, right you know, this whole thing of uh, how God works in his kingdom is there's things that he's, 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 he's creating your story. And sometimes you can't see it till you look back. Well, recently I was praying and I decided to just sit there and think for a while and whatever memories God might want to bring back to me, right? I was hoping to be all happy and, you know. But actually I started thinking about what I used to feel like Before I fully committed my life to Jesus, and I had these images that started just coming to me, and I could feel what it felt like. And uh, you know, about even though I knew came to know Jesus in a real way when I was very young, by the time I was in my teens, I had really drifted into a spot that the best way I could describe my daily life was I was carrying around a knot in my chest and had a hard time breathing most of the time. And of course, middle school helped that. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you, know I, you know, I'm so old; it was called junior high back then. Uh, but here's, a, and so I had this memory that came to my mind that kind of described how I felt. You know, the '70s weren't uh, early '70s; like the parents didn't really understand much about feelings. Now, some of you parents would, you know, old. You know, I'm different, but yeah, my parents didn't. You know, uh, in fact. I remember one time, I was just thinking about this, I used, I've had numerous times when I was growing up as, as a child that I forced myself to throw up because I didn't want to do something, because anything else was shape up, quit whining, and get going. But if you threw up, like, compassion came out. So I learned to throw up. <laughs> so that was kind of my, my world. And my parents were good parents, but not really clear on what's happening, and I just, Just thought that was normal. I just carried around this. I couldn't breathe. Part of my chest. I just, and I remember this scene came to my mind. I'm in junior high, and I'm leaving to walk to school, which is about six or seven blocks uphill in the snow. No, it was six or seven blocks. (laughs) But it actually was, and I remember walking out, and my dad smoked, and so I grabbed matches and a cigarette, and this just became a habit. Because on the last block, I could cut this alley, and I remember I remember this vivid scene of it being cold and having the cigarette, and it wasn't because of peer pressure, it wasn't because I was trying to be cool, it's because I could relax for about two minutes, and that's what I look forward to. That was my life. I, You know, you don't realize at the time, it's just normal at the time. The saying I often use is normal is just a setting on the dryer, right? It's don't really know what it means, right? You just, your normal is your normal. As I started thinking about it, I had a, another memory where I just would come home from school and I looked forward to going. I had no motivation to do homework, which if you've seen my text, you understand what happened out of that. <laughs> and I just wanted to go to sleep, watch TV, and go to sleep. And I wake up the next morning. Now, on the outside, I was just trying to look cool and adjust, but there was a lot going on on the inside. You know, and I can, this continued off in high school. And of course, in high school, you have more choices to make, bad choices to try to make yourself feel better. And so over time, I began, you know, uh, uh, having anxiety, and then. For some reason, I decided to steal the ID of a guy. He's older than me, obviously, which didn't work out very well, because he caught me. We found out through the school system. I got nailed on that one. And uh, he didn't seem like a very big guy to me. But whenever I, I mentioned that I stole the ID from somebody, I got in trouble. They said, you didn't steal an ID from Jim Nelson, did you? And I said, yeah, why? He goes, he's crazy. I said, "What? He, he just loves to kill, fight people." You know, uh, this rumor. You know, so I asked my friend. He goes, "Oh, it's a party." He goes, "Like, like crazy, and takes on everybody." So I thought, "This is not good." <laughs> and so I was bullied by Jim Nelson for literally half a year or more. Every time I walked around a corner, I just hoped I didn't see him. Every party I went to, and he—it was just tormenting me. At this point, I changed my game a little bit. I started praying. But here's the kind of prayers I prayed. Oh, God, help me not die now. Oh, God, help me not blow my brain out in this situation. Or help me, God, in this. I would start praying these prayers. Help me stay out of trouble. Help me. Just this one time, it was those kind of things, you know, those desperate prayers. You know what's funny? He answered them, like quite often. And one time he answered them, I remember thinking, this is crazy. God's answering my prayers. And I remember a feeling, a sense. It almost was like he was speaking to me. I felt God say, I can do a lot more for you than this. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my. But then over time, I began watching my, some of my friends. I had two friends that I grew up even from kindergarten with. And one began, got into crime, and one began actually... Uh, getting to a sexual assault to the point that he ended up being in prison later. My other friend just kind of lost his mind and kind of lost reality to mental illness to an extent. And I realized we're all up against something here. The same thing that's causing this anxiety in me is the same thing that drove this person to this and this person to this. There's a force out there of evil. And I caught on to that. So I decided I'm going to change. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And I tried, and I couldn't. I couldn't. I just kept returning. I couldn't get out of this. So I heard a preacher say this one time, and I just picked it up. This is a prayer. I'm guessing that's where I got it from. I can't imagine my friends telling me this. Uh, It said, God. Do whatever you have to do to make me do what you want me to do. And so I just started praying that. I'd be right in the middle of something that I shouldn't be doing, and I would say, God, do whatever you have to do to make me do what you want me to do. And he answered that prayer. And in the next year, stuff started happening that I can't explain. He just started breaking into my life in these places, and then I remember as I was praying that I realized I kind of knew, man, this has something to do with that prayer, I think. But I was, it was amazing how still resistant I was. And I remember finally, as you've heard the story many times, ironically, it's very interesting. This is, a, this is, this is uh, the Sunday of when I committed my life fully to Jesus. July 14th, it was on a Sunday, 1974, at 3 in the morning, 3.30 about. I remember so vividly. My brother talked to me, explained, you just tell God you want back, and he'll bring you right back. I was like, it can't be that easy. So, but I was, I remember laying in my bed, shaking, feeling this dark presence trying to keep me from opening my mouth. And I said, God, I'm messed up. He could forgive me, and I, I, want to, I want you to take over my life. That's, and, I, and you know what I did after that? I fell asleep, like, like that. The next thing I know, a few hours later, my brother's waking me up saying, it's time to go to church. <laughs> and I realized something had changed because I was excited about this, and I went to church. And I remember, in fact, I even went to a two church services that day. <laughs> In the night church service, I remember I was on the front row, which was a sign of the kingdom, I think. Uh, And I was sitting there, and there was these younger people playing guitar and singing. I guess they called it worship. Back then I just thought they are playing guitar and worship, you know, singing things. I sat there. I felt free. Nervous, really nervous about what does this mean. And I felt hope. And I didn't have that knot anymore. I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. (laughs) This is crazy that this is happening. And what I just should say is that that was a moment that God literally saved me. And the, the battle continued right I remember I wouldn't have known any of these verses at the time but when I was I remember these verses that stood out later you're called out of darkness into this wonderful light once you were not a people but now you're God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy so then Ephesians so then you are no longer strangers or aliens but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. For freedom, is for freedom Christ that Christ set you free. So stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And I thought, that's what I was under. I was under a yoke of slavery. And here's the thing about the kingdom of God that we're talking about. Freedom comes with being under the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. But what you're doing is you're changing yokes. You're no longer under a yoke of slavery, but you're yoked with Christ. And he's with you in life. And he's in the battle with you. And that's what I experienced. So when we talk about in this series about the kingdom of God... And seeking first the kingdom of God and praying, will your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's an active thing that we do. We're a part of the kingdom, but we're still in the battle zone, and we have an other kingdom that's conflicting with us. And so, what you have to understand is when you enter the kingdom of God, you begin seeing that this world is very temporal. And you start seeing things that you couldn't see before, but you also see the kingdom of God, but you also understand very clearly there's opposition that you've been up against. I used to think, you know, in the middle of all this, like, well, I'm just a stupid kid doing stupid things, which I was, but it really helped to know that my stupid things were being being pushed and powered by a force that God hated that was pushing me towards things. So... The Kingdom Story. We're going to be talking in these next two weeks, and we're going to move into a couple stories of the Old Testament. And this is going to be part one of Taste of the Kingdom. You know, uh, I found myself as a new Christian of having a hard time at first with the Old Testament to start with. It's like, and, and if you ever had a look, if you had a little struggle with the Old Testament yourself, you're not alone, because there's a lot of things that are different about the Old Testament. It's a different covenant. It's a uh, and the Old Testament was written over a thousand years with so many different cultures that or have completely different worldviews, and so all of that's there, and I remember first getting the understanding, oh, it's a different covenant, so then I thought, well, what's, I'll just read the, one, I'll read the new side of the covenant. Why read the old side? Some of you think, yes, amen to that. No, because we understand the Scripture's all inspired by God, and so when you look at the Old Testament, it's really important to understand that you need to look to it to it through the lens of the kingdom, the lens of Jesus, the lens of and the kingdom is how you can see the New Testament, the Old Testament, much clearer. Carl Barton, who's actually pretty smart, uh, theologian, says Christ alone unifies all Scripture. When we look at the world of God, when we look at the world of God from the perspective of the centrality of Christ, we realize that the message. Ministry and self-understanding of Jesus are inseparably linked to the kingdom. Jesus came announcing the kingdom. His parables explained the kingdom. His miracles bore witness to its presence. In fact, the theme of the kingdom as preached by Jesus unites the whole flow of biblical truth from Moses to the prophets, the writings, and the gospels, the epistles, and the revelation of John. Now, some of you know the story we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about, this first week, we're going to talk about the Exodus story. You guys know the Exodus story, right? You guys know it? You know about King David, uh, uh, his kingdom, and all that? We're going to talk about that next week, Davidic kingdom. So, but first off, we have to kind of get context for the Exodus story, because some of you have developed your theology of the Exodus story with these situations, right? Some of you are theologians of 1956 of Charles and Heston playing Moses and Yul Brynner playing Pharaoh. And uh, some of you need help on this because uh, it's an exciting movie, but it's not really emphasizing the right things. But it did win an Academy Award, and it was a blockbuster. Now, some of you have recently, the younger people have watched The Prince of Egypt. Ironically, probably the more correct theologically of most I've seen so if you need to to get something video that's what you want to watch some of you uh, have gone to VeggieTales for your theological understanding of the exodus and it could be Mo you know uh, what does it say yeah the big exit Yeah, I've not seen it but Moses is played by cucumbers so it could be good But most of us know the story, but what we're going to do is we're going to play a video, which is a little more accurate, to help you get context, because the context is really important. I encourage you to read over Exodus, the first, maybe 18 chapters, to kind of look at that first half. But to speed that up a little bit, we're going to have Bible Project help us a little bit with their ingenious drawings. So let's watch that, and then we'll come back, and we'll dive into one particular part of the story.
0: All the world. But the new Pharaoh does not view Israel as a blessing. He actually thinks this growing Israelite immigrant group is a threat to his power. And so just as in Genesis, humanity rebels against God's blessing, so here Pharaoh attempts to destroy the source of God's blessing, the Israelites. He brutally enslaves them in forced labor, and then he orders that all the Israelite boys be drowned in the Nile River. Now, Pharaoh, he is the worst character in the Bible so far. His kingdom epitomizes humanity's rebellion against God. Pharaoh has so redefined good and evil, according to his own interests, that even the murder of innocent children has become good to him. And so Egypt has become worse than Babylon from the book of Genesis. And so now Israel cries out for help against this new Babylon, and God responds. God first turns Pharaoh's evil upside down as an Israelite mother throws her boy into the Nile River, but in a basket. And so he floats safely right down into Pharaoh's own family. He's named Moses, and he grows up to eventually become the man that God will use to defeat Pharaoh's evil. In the famous story of the burning bush, God appears to Moses and commissions him to go to Pharaoh and order him to release the Israelites and God says that he knows Pharaoh will resist and so he will bring his judgment on Egypt in the form of plagues. Then God also says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart and so we're introduced into the next main part of the story, the confrontation between God and Pharaoh. Now what does this mean that God says he'll harden Pharaoh's heart? It's super important to read this section of the story really closely and in sequence. In Moses and Pharaoh's first encounter, we're told simply that Pharaoh's heart grew hard. There's no implication that God did anything. And so in response, God sends the first set of five plagues, each one confronting Pharaoh and one of his Egyptian gods. And each time, Moses offers a chance for Pharaoh to humble himself and to let the Israelites go. But after each plague, we're told that Pharaoh either hardened his heart or that his heart grew hard. He's doing this of his own will. And so eventually, it's with the second set of five plagues that we begin to hear how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the point of the story seems to be this. Even though God knew that Pharaoh would resist his will, God still offered him all of these chances to do the right thing. But eventually, Pharaoh's evil reaches a point of no return. I mean, even his own advisors think that he has lost his mind. And it's at that point that God takes over and bends Pharaoh's evil towards his own redemptive purposes. God lures Pharaoh into his own destruction as he saves his people, which is what happens next. With the final plague, it's the night of Passover, and God turns the tables on Pharaoh. Just as he killed the sons of the Israelites, so God will kill the firstborn in Egypt with a final plague. But unlike Pharaoh, God provides a means of escape through the blood of the Lamb. And here the story stops and introduces us in detail to the annual Israelite ritual of Passover. On the night before Israel left Egypt, they sacrificed a young, spotless lamb and painted its blood on the doorframe of their house. And when the divine plague came over Egypt, the houses covered with the blood of the lamb were passed over and the sons spared. And so every year since, the Israelites have reenacted that night to remember and to celebrate God's justice and his mercy. But Pharaoh, because of his pride and rebellion, he loses his own son. And he's compelled to finally let the Israelites go free. And so the Israelite slaves make their exodus from Egypt. But no sooner do they leave that Pharaoh changes his mind and he gathers his army and chases after the Israelites for a final showdown. As the Israelites pass through the waters of the sea safely, Pharaoh charges towards his own destruction. The Exodus story concludes with the first song of praise in the Bible. It's called the Song of the Sea. And the final line declares that the Lord reigns as King. And then the song retells in poetry what the story of God's kingdom is all about. It's about how God is on a mission to confront evil in his world and to redeem those who are enslaved to evil. God is going to bring his people into the promised land where his divine presence will live among them. This story is what it looks like when God becomes king over his people. So after the Israelites sing their song, the story takes a sharp turn. The Israelites, are trekking through the wilderness on the... All
1: right. You can watch the rest at home. That's all I need. That helps you give a little context. Most of you know some of that story and um you know as we think about this place of the the process first of moses and the state where he's in his 80s they've been captive for over 400 years they're under the most powerful person in the world the strongest kingdom there was he's all by himself and he's listening to god through a bush that's supernaturally burning and he tells him, I want you to go <laughs> and tell Pharaoh, let my people go and worship. I want you, you know, big ask. And if you think about, you know, that moment and what that must have felt like, you know, uh, to, to Moses, it's like, I, I can't imagine what he was going through emotionally. <laughs> like, what, what have we got going here? And I, As we go through, I just want to point out to you some of, these are not Charlton Heston moments. This is the real Moses moment. These are the real places that how this was a group of people who are in desperate need and were human just like we are. And it says, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of the people who are in Israel and in, in, in Egypt and Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land of, to the good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So that's what he states. What's interesting is that right after that, he says, well, uh, who am I to do this? And, and I love this because it shows, again, we're, we're looking at it through this kingdom grid. We're showing who God, the all-powerful, almighty, holy king is in character. And he has this person, this human saying, I don't think I can do this. And he goes, what? Don't worry, I'll be with you. Is that kind <laughs> for the almighty creator of the universe? And so what we see is this place of God's character coming through this whole time and he says "And you, then you'll know more clearly as you move into this that I'll keep backing you and I'll keep making you more confident I'll, I'll stay with you and then he goes on to say, he says Moses said to God if I come to the people of Israel and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what's his name see they're in a culture that has many gods and they've been living under this for a long time and he says what shall I say to them God said to Moses I am who I am and he said say this to the people I am has sent me to you I am is I exist because I exist I'm the God, I wasn't created, I'm above all, I see all, I know all, I am. And as you look at that, you think, okay, a little bit later on, what we see is Moses goes, well, here's a problem, (laughs) I don't talk very well, I'm not eloquent in speech. And God does a great move here, he says, you know, I created your mouth. I think I can handle this, right? But out of kindness, he says, I'll give you a sidekick, Aaron. He'll come along with you, and he can help you in these things. So he equips him for these, these things of supernatural power. He tells him things. And, it, and I love this because when, Jesus, when God's talking to Moses, he, have you ever seen those movies in which the person who is really amazingly skilled says, you don't want to do that. And if you do that, I'm going to do this, 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 this. And the says, you can't do that. And God says, yes, I can. <laughs> That's kind of what it's like. Like, I'm going to do it, and I'm not. And he even tells them, this is how it will look. And he gives them very specific details. This is what's going to happen. Showing again his sovereignty, his, his, his knowledge, and his compassion for how he does it. And so then we look a little bit further, and he goes on, and he, he basically tells them again, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to, out your outstretched arm, these things are going to take place. And so he goes out, and with all his supernatural powers, showing the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of Pharaoh in very vivid ways supernaturally, Pharaoh doesn't budge. And he ends up making the workload on the people even greater to the point they're overly oppressed, and they are not happy. And this is what Moses says. He says, Moses said to the Lord, why did you ever... Send me, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to the, his, this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But God just becomes compassionate. Moses spoke then to the people of Israel a little bit later on, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And God still, filled with compassion, understood, they can't really believe this is going to happen because they've been living as slaves. They can't even see how enslaved they are. They can't even hope. Have you ever been in that spot where you're in a spot where you don't even feel hardly anymore? You've just been under something so long you don't feel anything. And this is where they're at, but God, again, was compassionate. Now, the interesting thing is, is at this point, he goes, and then there's all the things we talked about in the videos, these amazingly powerful signs to address the demonic powers of the kingdom that Pharaoh was being driven by. And all the gods they worshipped, these things just kept showing up. And they just kept going and going. It just went on for a long time. You can read about it. And it's interesting because then you get to this point where the last plague they talked about, that broke Pharaoh. And he goes, OK, you're, you can go. You can go worship your God. Go. Take your stuff. Go. just Go. And so if you can imagine. Now, why don't you put yourself in the place of the Israelites? You don't step out of line ever or you get beaten or killed. You've been under this generation after generation after generation and now you're at a spot right over this time you begin thinking, okay, we're, leave- we're going to leave here. And watch what happened at the Passover and God's faithfulness and that, and now they're going to leave. And they're walking in this huge crowd of people, kids, carrying what they can, and God doesn't send them the direct route. He basically sends them to a corner with a sea there. <laughs> and it's like, if this wasn't hard enough just walking out, now we're in a sea, but... Thank goodness Pharaoh has let us go, but then they find out Pharaoh has not let us go. his hardened his heart and he came to destroy them. So here we have this, the Israelites pushed up against the sea and Pharaoh's the strongest army in the world coming after them. And here's what they said. <laughs> it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. And Moses in kindness, and Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Egyptians whom you see coming at you to kill you, today you you shall never see again. And the Lord will fight for you. I love this. And you have only to be silent man. And then this dramatic moment in which that... Read this. It's it's a great... Just read the story. This is really making it too short. If you can imagine Moses (laughs) putting his hands up and the sea separating and people choosing to try to go through this wall. If you can just imagine that. You know, there's so many so many illustrations, none of them really fit. I don't know what it really looked like. This is one I thought I liked it because it was just humans and <laughs> what it must have felt like. But I, you know, I don't know what it's like, but all I know is it was, it, was, it was a moment that they will never forget. It, will, it was a moment that, that, they will, that set something in place that never, never could be changed because this moment has huge impact. It's a moment they won't ever forget. And as you're walking through and you're thinking about this, one thing I had a question about, like, why did this take so long? I mean, you're God, you want to deal with Pharaoh, you obviously can do what you want, why don't we go for this? Instead of all this craziness over all this time and giving chances for Pharaoh and doing all these things, what is all that about? Learning the past. like what, Why don't we just start this way, God? You just freeze Pharaoh, and then we just all walk out on dry land and say, see you, right? But what you have to understand is God was making a people. He was making a people that trusted him and knew him and would yield their self fully to his rule and reign. And this process was way more than getting from A to B, out of slavery into freedom. It was much more than that. It was God doing all kinds of things within this time that, you know, he, could have done, he couldn't have done any other way. Out of this process, these people who had a, slave mentality who had got to a spot of not even being able to see straight of what was right and wrong and what was good and bad and and, and who god was and in this spot there's so many things happening in all those chapters that god was doing in the hearts of of the israelites to prepare them for what was ahead he taught them truth you know he uh he taught them the Passover came out of that, which points completely to Jesus that they got to, they locked in in a way that if you ever read the Passover, it's like exactly seeing Jesus in action. It's very much prophetic. It caused them to be able to see with new eyes that they couldn't before. They started being responding to the love of God and not the fear of man. I mean, it just goes on and on. It says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him and they put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. They could be people who could be led now because they are under the rule and reign of the kingdom. Now what I love is, the, the part of this that I, I, I love the most is thinking of them crossing over kind of shell-shocked looking at the ocean coming back and realizing they have no the enemy has been judged. justice has come and the enemy's gone and they're trying to take it all in and they sing a song <laughs> and it's a long song but i'll give you parts of it then moses and the people of israel sang this song to the lord i will sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And it closes out with the power of your arms. And speaking of, they're thinking about, wait a minute, now we're free. How are we going to go through all these other Kingdoms and survive. And he's thinking, and he says, The power of your arm makes them lifeless as a stone until we pass by, O Lord, until the people you purchased pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, reserved for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, that you, your hands have, have established. The Lord will reign. Forever and ever. Amen. That last part was why what they needed to know as a people. That the Lord will reign forever and ever. Just take that in. If you hit nothing else out of the sermon the Lord will reign forever and ever. Which means let him reign over you now. Allow him to reign in your hearts. Understand that you're in a battle and there are kingdoms trying to enslave you. But the Lord's yoke is easy and light. He's kind. We flourish when there is rule and reign. So, the invitation today, I had a couple of verses that just came to my mind, the ones that I talked about a little bit. This is the kingdom. This is where it starts. You come to Jesus, and it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in Galatians 4, Freedom, crisis set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. If you don't know Jesus, you're carrying a yoke and you're yoked to something that's not good. It may feel normal, but you know it's not good. And God wants you to know you can come in as a child of the king. You can actually come in into his kingdom and participate with him. It's so interesting, this whole story of, of Genesis. It's, it's participating. It's the place of his people being a part of the choices and moving the kingdom forward. And that's what God wants to do with you. But all of us, somewhat like me at the beginning of my life, I knew Jesus, but I got enslaved. I'd return back to a yoke of slavery. So the invitation is, Where do you need freedom right now in your life? And here's what you need to do. Cry out to Jesus and welcome His rule and reign. He hears your cry.